Okay, good morning, Boker Tov. I want to dedicate our learning, as we do every week, for Yerfuah Shlema, for Chola Yisrael. And uh, this week as well, Li'iloi Nishmas, Ravaran Lichtentin Zatzal, the world, our world in particular, suffered a terrible, terrible loss yesterday with the loss of uh, one of our Gedolim, of our generation. Rav Lichtenstein was not only a brilliant mind, an outstanding Talmud Chacham with encyclopedic knowledge, who at his fingertips had the uh, width and breadth and depth of Torah. He was both uh, Sinai and Oker Harem. He both uh, knew Torah as well as had an analytic ability to plumb the depths of Torah. Uh, he was a brilliant, brilliant man, the youngest to ever earn a PhD in English literature at Harvard University. He uh, was holding in, in Torah and uh, secular studies. Uh, but his uh, brilliance was surpassed even by his humility and by his outstanding midos and by his leadership. He is truly a, a tremendous, tremendous loss uh, for us all. And uh, I'm going to speak more about him in shul over the coming days and weeks. I think that unfortunately too many in our community didn't even appreciate his leadership and weren't familiar with him uh, in his life, but certainly at least should do so and honor him in his uh, passing. So our, our learning this morning is Le'iloi uh, Nishmaso. We have the privilege of reading a double parsha. We're now off from Eretz Yisrael. In Israel, they're ahead a week. We don't catch up for a few weeks. Um, so we read Tazri and Mitzorah together uh, this Shabbos. Tazri and Mitzorah primarily deal, as you know, with the laws of spiritual leprosy, the affliction that appears on the body, but really represents a spiritual malady. It represents something uh, wrong with the soul not being calibrated properly and the manifestation of that illness, the spiritual malady, the manifestation is expressed on the, on the body. But before we get to that, we begin with Parshas Tazria. So as we do every week, a quick overview, and then we'll delve into the psukim that we want to look at uh, and the commentators on those specific psukim uh, shortly. So Parshas Tazria begins first with the uh, laws of purity and impurity. Rashi tells us it's a continuation of the end of last week's Pasha. Last week's Pasha was the purity and impurity of an animal. And this week's Pasha begins with the purity and impurity of the human being. Why that order, Rashi says? Because it follows the order of creation, just like Mysa Bratius. First, animal, the animal kingdom was created. The culmination of creating was humanity. And uh, similarly uh, here, the laws of purity and impurity. First, the animal kingdom, and the culmination is humanity. We spoke last night in Menchamarv. I quoted from Ravon Lichtenstein uh, a little bit more uh, deeper approach to that, uh, to that specific issue. So we're told, Isha Kisazria, the elder Zachar, a woman who conceives and she gives birth to a boy. And the laws of purity and impurity that have to do with childbirth. The differential between a boy and a girl. This is uh, uh, something that was adopted even by early philosophers, not just by the Jewish world, but based on the Torah, the notion of the different um, period of purity and impurity. We've seen this uh, quoted from Aristotle in the past. I spoke about it. Um, here we have the origin as well of the idea that on the eighth day is the time for a bris. So when is it that the eighth day, a bris, supersedes Shabbos? When it's a natural childbirth and a natural conception, because it says, Isha ki a woman who conceives naturally and gives birth naturally. Our rabbis understand that a C-section, a, a woman who gives birth, the baby is extracted, not through natural means, then uh, the, that baby's bris would not be on Shabbos, would not supersede Yantif. 
then you would have a nidcha, uh, you would wait uh, another day. Similarly, the discussion is if a baby is conceived through IVF, which is non-natural in the sense that it's not the normal, uh, normative way in which conception occurs. It's, uh, there's there's uh, intervention taking place. So that perhaps is not included in Isha Kisa Zriya. It's not a natural conception. So a baby conceived through, um, through uh, IVF, according to Poskim, that would not, the bris of such a baby would not supersede Shabbos as well. The Nekeva Seilev Shivuayim. If it's a girl that's born, then it's two weeks. If it's a male born, uh, two weeks and then Vishishim Yom Vishishis Yomim, 66 days. And if it's a boy, Zachar, uh, where is the Zachar? I skipped. Nekeva, sorry, yeah. Shloshim Yom Shloshis Yomim, 33 days. So there's 33 and 66, and one week versus two weeks. And why that is, we've studied in the past, you can listen online. So there's this, four, four, there's this uh, quick introductory section that deals with the laws of purity and impurity, that deals with the origin of bris, the notion of the eighth day. I mentioned last week in the Shtibel Minyan that uh, last week's Pasha begins, last week's Pasha begins that Moshe summons Aaron on the eighth day, it was the eighth day. And the Kliyakar asked a great question. Why would you call it the eighth day? It wasn't the eighth day. It really was the... I'm making up a number, but let's say spring training lasts for 20 days. I'm making up a number. So the opening day of baseball, would you call it the 21st day? No, what would you call it? You call it the first day. It's the first day of the new season. You wouldn't call it the 21st day. Spring training is over and you move on to the first day of the new season. So the Kliyakar asks, on last week's Pasha, why is it called the Ashmini? Why does it say that Moshe called Aaron to begin the inauguration of the Mishkan on the eighth day? There were seven days of practice, a dry run, a spring training. And this wasn't the eighth day, it was really the... The first day, it was the first day of the new season. Moshe was calling Aaron. Aaron was scheduled to throw out the first carbon. It was time to start the new season. So the Kliyakar says it should be called the first day, not the eighth day. And the Kliyakar answers, it's called the eighth day. Why? Because seven represents the natural order. Seven represents the days of the week. It represents the natural order of the physical world. Eight transcends nature. Eight is the supernatural. Eight is the ability to rise above the natural. So the Mishkan is a place of transcendence. The Mishkan is a place not of the natural, the mundane, the casual, but it's a place that transcends. And so therefore it's symbolized by the number eight. So Lababach Rebbe Zatzal in one of his uh, sichos, in the Kutai sichos asks, but that makes the question even more compelling. If the Mishkan is a place categorically different than every other place, if the Mishkan is something new and fresh and different, then it should be the first, not the eighth. It shouldn't be a continuation of what came before. So the Rebbe answers, you have to recognize that the supernatural is predicated on the natural. You don't achieve transcendence. You don't achieve that level of consciousness without putting in effort. It doesn't just happen. You don't just achieve the number eight. You have to work first through the number seven. And so that's why specifically it uses the number eight. So the Rebbe also mentions in our parsha. that's why the bris takes place on the eighth day. There are seven days of the week. Seven is again the natural order. Eight corresponds with the notion of the supernatural, the capacity to overcome our nature. Right? That's why a bris takes place where it does. We've spoken about this in the past as well. You could listen online. A bris 
God couldn't uh, ask us to make a sign, a covenant of our special relationship with an earring, with a tattoo, with uh, something else. Really, it had to be specifically in that private location. That's where this covenant is. It's peculiar. It's bizarre. And the answer is, it's the place where man fights his greatest natural instinct and impulse, where man struggles with his greatest Yetzirah, that is the very place that man elevates himself by transcending, by overcoming his nature to achieve living a supernatural status. That's symbolized by the number eight. Where do we find the strength? Where do we have the capacity to not give in to our nature, but to transcend our nature and to achieve beyond? That's symbolized by the number eight. And that's why a bris is on the eighth day. And this is why, says the Rebbe, that a bris that falls on Shabbos is Docha Shabbos. Because the number eight is Docha, the number seven. The notion of supernatural is Docha, the number seven. Yes, Shabbos is Me'ein Olam Haba. Yes, Shabbos itself transcends to a certain degree. But Shabbos has both components. On the one hand, it's the number seven. It is the completion of the unit of seven. It's the end of the natural order of the week. It does have a component of Me'ein Olam Haba, the beginning. But it's that number eight of a bris which supersedes the number seven of Shabbos. And that's why Mila is Docha Shabbos. All of that is in a sikh in the beginning of last week's Parsha Shmini, but also applies to Parsha Tazria, to our Pasuk here about bris, about Vayom Shmini on the eighth day. Okay, then the Parsha gets into what is the major theme of the remainder of Tazria and of Mitzorah, and that is the story of the Mitzorah. Adam Baheres, and so on. A Adam. Now we have all kinds of words that we use to describe man. Adam. Ish. What are the other words? We have a long list of words that we use to describe a person. Why is Adam chosen as the descriptive word here? Adam, Ish. What are the other words we have? Why am I coming up blank? So I'll listen to it. Adam, Gever, Enosh, Ish. The Alshech HaKadosh asks, why specifically is the word Adam used here? Why not? Gever, Ish, Enosh, and so on. And there are many answers which are given to this question, but I would suggest that perhaps it's reminiscent of the original Adam. The original Adam Arishon. Adam Arishon is the first human being. Adam Arishon is the uh, differentiated from the animal world. What's the difference between a human being and an animal? The capacity for speech. The ability to communicate. Unklus famously says, Kadosh Baruch Hu fills with Ruach Namalala, Kadosh Baruch Hu fills uh, Nishmas, uh, uh, Kadosh Baruch Hu breathes life into man, and Unklus says Ruach Namalala, it's the capacity for speech, what differentiates man as the culmination of creation from animal is the ability to speak. So this individual, this Mitzorah we're going to study about, abused his power of speech. He violated the very essence of his creation. He essentially forfeited his humanity and chose to function like an animal. An animal doesn't elevate through speech. And this human being who uses speech to gossip about others, uses speech to ridicule, to marginalize, or to criticize or condemn others, this individual forfeits his or her humanity. And perhaps that's why the Torah here uses specifically the word Adam. To remember Adam Arishon. Why were you given speech to begin with? To elevate. In fact, some of the Mephoshim say, when Adam Arishon was given the capacity for speech, with whom was he supposed to use it? With whom was he supposed to speak? There was no Chava yet. Who was he talking to? What's the answer? Hashem. 
You see, what's the original use of the purpose of speech? To daven. Talk to Hashem. To talk to Hashem who's right before us. Baruch atah Adonai Eloheinu Melech HaOlam Sha'akol Niyeh Bidvarot Speaking of talking to Hashem. That wasn't even our purpose. So the original use of speech is to talk to Hashem. So when we abuse and misuse speech, we forfeit our humanity, we forfeit our very purpose of creation, we forfeit that which differentiates us from animal, and maybe that's why the Torah uses the term here, Kisiye Be'odam, I'm sorry, Adam, Kisiye Be'or Be'saro, and we see that term Adam used over and over, rather than Gever, Ish, Enosh, and so on. So this individual is a Mitzorah. And the Kohen identifies skin lesions, blemishes on his body, which are the manifestation of this illness of the soul. It's not leprosy the way we know it today. It certainly has a similar quarantine process, but it's not leprosy in the physical illness that we know today. It's a manifestation of a spiritual illness of something being off. It can only be determined when the Kohen paskins. You know, the Rambam quotes to Allah based on the Mishnais that if an if a individual who shows these um, symptoms is scheduled to get married or is in a Sheva Brachas, then the Kohen delays seeing him and refuses to declare his status until afterwards. In other words, the status is, I don't want to use the term manipulated, which has a connotation, but it's determined only by the Kohen. We're not concerned with the actual presence of the symptoms. We're concerned with the Kohen declaring the status of the individual, which has, which has meaning that it's the Kohen. The coin declares the illness, and the coin also is a necessary part of the process of, of rehabilitation and of getting rid of this. So here in Parshas Tzaras, we have all the details of what appears, how it appears, when it appears, how long it appears. We have Mitzorah Muska, we have the different types of Mitzorah. We have the Mitzorah who is uh, quarantined, who it's not yet fully, the symptoms have not yet fully evolved, we're not positive it's Tzaras, so he's kind of placed in limbo versus the individual who has a definite um, has a definite what does the doctor give a diagnosis who has a definite diagnosis thank you and to uh, and to therefore immediately enters this uh, this status the Mitzorah is placed in isolation he lives alone outside the camp that's a very harsh punishment why is that his punishment? The Chaim Shmulevitz writes, it's Mida Keneged Mida. Why is this individual in this condition to begin with? What did the individual violate that he finds himself living this life? Chazal tell us, Mitzorah is Motzi Shem Ra. This individual gossip, they spoke ill of others. So Chaim Shmulevitz says, it's Mida Keneged Mida. Why? What happens when you speak negatively of somebody else? You make them feel very lonely. You make them feel very isolated. If you've ever been a subject of Lashon Hara, which every pulpit rabbi has, almost every day of every week, so you know that it makes you feel lonely. If you know that emails were sent about you or text messages or people are gossiping about you, you start to feel lonely. You wonder how many are saying it, who's saying it, what are they saying, what are the consequences, what are its implications. You feel very alone. You don't know who you can trust. The individual being the subject of Lashon Hara makes the person feel very alone. So with Mida Keneged Mida, measure for measure, the Torah says, the speaker of the Lashon Hara, what's the best way for that individual to understand the damage they did, to learn a lesson? Because we know that a Kodesh Baruch Hu does not create punishments arbitrarily. Kodesh Baruch Hu's, the, the, the consequences that the Torah places 
for a person who, who performed a certain violation are not arbitrary, they're not random. They're, they're not even punishments in the classic sense of punishment. It is a lesson, it's a teachable moment, it's a, a rehabilitative process. So the rehabilitative process for the Mitzorah, they need to know how they made the other feel. How do you know how you made someone else feel? By feeling it yourself. So therefore, Badad Yeshev, alone they sit, Michutz Lamachan and Moshevo, outside the camp is their place. It's also a God sent early warning system for the person. It's not so slow. Right. He has an opportunity to rehabilitate himself before it gets uh, entirely bad. Okay? Oh, that's a good question. Not sure. We get to Pasha's Mitzorah, which is the purification process. How does the Mitzorah come back into the camp? How does an individual who's isolated himself by gossiping and by being haughty, and by there are actually seven things that Chazal list that are the cause. Lashonara is the most popular one, the one we talk of most. But there are many, many things that Chazal associate or identify with leading to Mitzorah. So there are three stages, we now turn to Parshas Mitzorah. There are three stages, um, incrementally, in which the Mitzorah is able to come back to the camp. This is what we're going to study together. Then the Parsha deals with not only the Tsaras that applies to a person, but you have Tsaras of the clothing, you have Tsaras of a home. You have even within the home. And how does the home become purified? And then we uh, end the uh, Parshish Mitzorah. We have the laws of impurity that apply to a, a man, a Balkari. If a man has certain, a seminal discharge, it leaves him with a certain status. You have a woman who becomes Tameh by being a Nida through a menstruation or Zava through a certain discharge that she experiences. And these are these laws. Okay, let's go to the beginning of Parshish Mitzorah. That's what I want to study together. Says the Torah. <coughs> God speaks to Moshe. This is the law. This is the mechanism, the manner in which the Mitzorah, on the day of purification, these are his laws. What happens? First, he is brought to the Kohen. He's brought to the Kohen. Where is this Kohen? Says the Sferno. Since the Kohen has to go to him, therefore we, pers- we put the person in isolation, we quarantine them close to the camp because we don't want to make it inconvenient or a burden for the Kohen. Now it's interesting, the Kohen actually goes out to the person to inspect them and yet the Pasuk here says, He is brought to the Kohen. So which is it? Is the Kohen coming to him? Or is he coming to the Kohen? Which is it? So look at the Kliyakar. Ask the Kliyakar a great question. It says, this is the law of the Mitzorah on the day that he becomes Tower. Well, if it's the day that he becomes Tower, he's no longer a Mitzorah. If he's a Mitzorah, he's not becoming Tower. So which is it? And how can we call it he becomes Tahor before he's healed? Before he's healed of the Tsaras. And also it says that he is brought to the Kohen, which makes it sound like he's brought against his will. The Torah then seems to contradict itself and it says not that he's brought to the Kohen 
but the coin is brought to him. Vaud Mao Shama Vini Nirpa Negatsaras Minatsarua Pesach Bishtaim the same Bahas Vayalomar Minanagua Bitsaras. So the Kliakar has his litany of questions that uh, in the very first or the very opening of Parshas Mitzora, what is going on here? Why is it called Yom Taraso if he's still a Mitzora? If he's a Mitzora, he's not yet Torah. And why are we talking about his purification if he's not yet healed? Don't you have to physically heal before you become pure? And why is it described that he's brought to the Kohen <coughs> when it's the Kohen who goes to him? These are the, the Kliakar's questions. The Kliakar says the following. Tsaras comes for known indiscretions. The name of the illness is Tsaras, and the word, the title we have for the one afflicted with it is Mitsora. Kilashan Mitsora Motsi Ra. Shemotsi Kora also on Hysteris Bikirbo Elachutz Legalos Raso Bikal. Now I'm going to Israel tonight, but if I was staying here at the Shabbos, I just thought of a great drasha. What a shame. Okay, but I'm not, so I'll tell it to you now. How would I open the drasha? It just occurred to me now. Anybody see the um, story last week? This female ESPN reporter, the way she treated the cashier at a tow truck company? Anyone see this? This uh, female reporter for ESPN, she parks at a restaurant where you're not allowed to leave your car overnight. She apparently had too much to drink at dinner, so responsibly left her car overnight despite the sign, and the car was towed. And the next day when she went to retrieve her car, she spoke in an unbelievably abusive, harassing, offensive, obnoxious manner to the cashier. Since then it's actually come out that, that the tow truck company edited the video to only show her manner of talk, but it turns out apparently the cashier was abusive in her own right. But that's not the point, even if the cashier was abusive. The way in which this reporter spoke, she denigrates the cashier's looks. You're fat, and you're toothless, and you're ugly, and I'm beautiful, and I'm on TV. You're uneducated, and I have a degree. It's, you, you literally cringe when you see this video. And you can't help but feel that even though this ESPN reporter is, I, I didn't notice, but supposedly beautiful on the outside, in the outside, you can't help but recognize how absolutely ugly she is on the inside. And because she is so heinously ugly on the inside, you can't even see her beauty on the outside. She's just ugly all around. It doesn't matter what objectively she might look like. She's just ugly because you've been exposed to what she's like on the, on the inside. ESPN suspended her for a week and there's a big debate. Should they fire her altogether or not? She didn't do anything illegal. She didn't do anything about her job. Well, and so on. I have no opinion on that debate. But what's the Kliyaka here saying? Motz Mitzora, Motzi Ra. What happens when a person talks like that? They are revealing what's going on on their inside. On the outside, you might be beautiful, and on the outside, you might be able to fake it. But when you let loose and talk like that, when you are abusive, when you harass, when you gossip, when you denigrate, you are simply peeling the layers back. You are revealing who you are on the inside. And therefore, Mitzorah is motzi ra. You bring out the wickedness in you from the inside, you reveal it, you expose it, you bring it to the outside. Legalos ra so bekahal. You now show everybody who you really are. Your true colors show. That's a good connection, right? That'd be a good opening for a drasha. Too bad. V'shem tzara su lashon tzara. 
Ra, Ratzaloma, Ra, Shehi Kitsara, Kamashamu Razal, Umitsau, Raos, Rabos, Vitsara, Shem Kitsara, Zuazu, Kamaziburu, Vagrava. Kilamakazu ain't true for Bederachateva. Kachatsaraza ain't true for Bederachateva. This illness, this malady, being rotten in your core, right? I mean, again, you see that ESPN reporter and you say, and she tweeted an apology. When the story came out, she tweeted this apology to the cashier saying, um, the emotions of the moment got the best of me. I apologize if I spoke inappropriately. Hey, emotions got the best of you. Yeah, your car was towed. Emotions got the best of you. Emotions got the best of you. You tell, you know, I don't know, you say to the cashier, I can't believe you towed my car. I'm so annoyed you towed my car. Why'd you have to tow the car? You don't start talking about being toothless and fat and having no degree and, and low life and. It's just, you're rotten. You're rotten to your core. So it says the Kliyakar, this quality of being rotten in your core, on the inside, it has no trufa. There's no medicine. There's no solution. There's no um, simple answer in the natural way. In other words, if, if the person who had Saras went to the doctor, they didn't go to the Kohen. They went to the doctor. They said, help! I've got these skin lesions and blisters and warts. Help! So the doctor, if he's a dermatologist, would say, if it's wet, dry it. If it's dry, wet it. Otherwise, put cortisone cream on it. Right? You know the <laughs> famous... Uh, my father-in-law's a doctor, so I'm allowed to... Anyway, I've never seen a dermatologist who didn't say put some cortisone cream on it. So you go to the dermatologist with your Saras, and the doctor says, put some cortisone cream on it. And what happens? Does the cortisone cream resolve the tzaras? No. Because the tzaras is not eczema. The tzaras is not uh, dry skin. The tzaras is a spiritual malady manifested in this skin disease. And says the Kliyakar, that's by design. So the individual ultimately realizes, I can't take care of this in the natural means. There's no medicine to take. There's no ointment to apply. There's no cream to put on. I need to change myself. I need to change myself. What happens? The tzaraas, this individual, really should have been seeking mentorship, really should have been seeking someone to teach them earlier. But they didn't. This individual who gossips and denigrates and abuses their power of speech really should have reformed themselves earlier. But they didn't go to the person who could have inspired them. So what happens? They are afflicted with the tzaraas. They try to take care of it at a doctor, but no doctor can help them. And against their will they're dragged to the Kohen there's no other solution and because there's no other solution it is as if it is against their will had this individual gone to Shiurim, read inspiring books, listened to Divrei Torah on the internet, had this individual sought to um, sharpen their moral compass, to try to grow and refine themselves with their speech, had they been mindful of, uh, of who they were, then they never would have had this to begin with. And since they didn't do it on their own volition, 
So that's why, says the Kliyakar, true, the person is brought to the Kohen physically. I'm sorry, the Kohen comes to the person physically. But nevertheless, it's as if they were brought to the Kohen. Because the only reason they're in that position to begin with is because they were stubborn and obstinate. They didn't go seek inspiration when they could have. It took this malady. Right? It's like a person with addiction. It takes an intervention. It takes an intervention. The intervention here is tzara'as. A person is addicted to gossip. They're addicted to abusing the power of speech. And it takes sinking to the level of uh, tzara'as in order for the person to actually be dragged to the Kohen. Says the Kliyakar, now you understand the language, this is the law of the Mitzorah on the day of its purification. On the very day where he says, I've had enough, I'm tired of being like this. I don't want to live life, this gossiper, this haughty, arrogant person, judgmental, superior to others. I'm done, I'm sick, I want to renew myself. So that moment of renewal, that moment of commitment towards tshuva corresponds with when he's being brought to the Kohen. So, Vuhuva is not a geographic description. Vuhuva does not mean to physically be brought. It means spiritually. When you do an intervention, you bring a person from not wanting to change to wanting to change. So says the Kliyaka, the word Vuhuva does not mean physically. It's the Kohen going to him physically. Vuhuva means to be brought mentally, to be brought from one place to another in terms of being ready, being prepared to change. V'acharkach. And the Kliyakar finishes and explains that's why the rest of the order of the Psukim. It's interesting that there is a difference. Rabbi Yerucham, the great Mashkiach, Rabbi Yerucham Levavitz of Mir, in his Das Torah, points out that contrasts the Mitzorah with the Nazir. With the Nazir it says, Yavi Oso. Yavi Oso. Which Rashi there explains on the Midbar, Pergvav, Yavi Oso Rashi says, Who may vi es That the Nazir who seeks out greater holiness, the Nazir who wants to live a more mindful life, brings himself, motivates himself, comes himself to the sheer to the Dvar Torah to seek ki- get, uh, counsel and guidance as opposed to the Mitzorah who's Vehuva Elakoin. It's an intervention. He sinks to such a low level he doesn't, he's not motivated to come seek help on his own. It takes a disaster. It takes a catastrophe. It takes a crisis for the Mitzorah to be willing to get help and it's Vehuva. It's the crisis. It's the catastrophe which brings the Mitzorah unlike the Nazir who brings himself. Okay, so all of that is point number number one. Pasuk Gimel. I'm going to read this whole section now, and then we'll go back and try to understand some of its some of its symbolism. Okay, Pasuk Gimel. The Kohen goes outside the camp, and the Kohen looks and he sees that the tzaras has healed, the skin lesions have healed. 
V'tziva ha-koyim v'lakach l'mitahir shtei tziparim chayos taros. The coin then commands that the person who is being purified, this individual, needs to take two live, clean birds. In other words, two kosher birds who are alive. Not necessarily the doves, the yona, not necessarily the birds that are eligible for uh, korbanos. These birds are not going to be brought as korbanos. Their criteria are they have to be two live, uh, live birds, they have to be kosher, and they have to be um, clean. The eight eras ushni solaz ve'ezov. And he also brings eight eras, eras is a cedar tree, wood from a cedar tree. Ushni tolas. He brings a thread that is made, woven from a tolas, some kind of worm. And Ezov, he brings a bunch of hyssop. What's hyssop? Hyssop grows in a bush, very low to the ground. So what are the ingredients necessary for this first stage? The first stage that makes the koah, makes the mitzorah eligible to re-enter the camp, not yet pure. There's three stages. First he has to get back in the camp. Then he spends one week in the camp, but where he's not yet pure. And then he purifies himself where he's back to where he was. So what are the ingredients necessary to get back into the camp? Two birds, cedar wood, this thread that comes from a worm, and hyssop. The Kohen commands, one of the birds is shechted, and the blood of the shechted bird is gathered into a earthenware vessel that also has in it spring water, natural water. You then take the living bird, and you take the other items, the cedar wood, the a thread and the hyssop and you dip the live bird and the other items into the blood that is in the earthenware vessel so you dip the living bird and in one hand and in the other hand the bunch that is the hyssop the thread and the cedar word and you dip them all into the vessel that has the blood of the first bird that had already been slaughtered. And then you take this mixture of the blood and you sprinkle it on the mitzorah seven times, the tiaro, and you have purified him from the tzaras. And the living bird is set free to fly out into the field. And then he has to immerse his clothing in a mikvah. He's got to purify his clothing. And the gilach has kol He has to shave all of his hair. And he immerses. And now he's completed stage one. Now he's eligible to return to the camp. And he returns into the camp, but outside his tent, meaning he's not yet fully pure, for seven days he's in a holding pattern. Now what's next? On the seventh day of stage two, now he shaves his head and his beard and his eyebrows, and all of his body, hair, and he purifies his clothing, as well as himself, hair. On the eighth day, Right, apropos to what we said a few moments ago, with the symbolism and the meaning of the number eight. On the eighth day, he takes two male, two lambs, and a ewe, 
And he takes, which is an unusual deviation, normally Korbachatis and Hashem are not accompanied by a mincha, but here you bring fine flour and oil, um, a mincha to accompany the animal korbon. The Kohen welcomes the one who seeks purification. He's not allowed to enter yet because he's not yet fully pure. But the Kohen needs to interact with him, so he stands right on the boundary of the entrance. The Kohen takes one of the lambs and he sacrifices it as an asham, as a sin offering, and he takes the oil and he waves it before God. And he sacrifices the other as a chatas, and he takes the blood of the asham. The Kohen takes the blood of the of the uh, sin offering and he places the blood on the middle part of the right ear and then the thumb of his right hand and on the big toe of his right foot. And then the Kohen takes the oil and he pours it into another Kohen's uh, hand and the Kohen dips his forefinger and the Torah goes on. I want to stop here. Okay? So now you look at this and you say, Wow! This is really bizarre. This is really weird. What in the world is going on here? Three stages to his... This person just said some Lashon Hara. They gossiped. And they were a... They were... You can assume they didn't suffer with Tsaras because one time they said one thing. They, they seem to have been a uh, perpetual gossiper. They had a problem with gossip. So what's the process? Stage one is, we saw the two birds, the cedar wood, the hyssop, and the thread of a worm. Stage two is the holding pattern, seven days, the seventh day, he immerses, he is clothing and shaves. On the eighth day, shaves all the body hair, immerses the clothing, has the two lambs and the ewe, and begins this process of the karbonos, the kohen, and it culminates with standing at the entrance. He can't come in because he's not pure yet. But over the coins on the inside, he's on the outside. And at the threshold, the coin takes the blood and sprinkles it on the ear, the thumb, and the big toe of the Mitzorah. Oil is placed on him. A whole crazy, bizarre process. And only then is he purified. What in the world is going on here? So what I want to spend our remaining time, I don't know that we'll get that far or through it all, but to see the symbolism to understand that there's beauty. Again, it's not random. It's not, it's not just hocus pocus. But in God's infinite wisdom, He designed a rehabilitation that symbolism uh, reminds the uh, perpetrator what they did wrong and helps them resolve not to do it again. So what in the world is going on here? Let's start. Rashi. Pasuk Dalit. Yeah. Says Rashi, Taros, you take two birds that are Tahor, Prat Lo of Tamid, if you should go and boin Allah Shahara, Shumaisa Pitpute Dvarim. Why does Taras come? Because a person gossiped, which is what happens, chirp, 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 a person talks and talks and talks and talks and talks, they're gonna bound to gossip. You bring, the Ramban here elaborates, 
The Ramban says the word Sipur is the Torah's word for a small bird. Small birds tend to chatter in the morning. They wake you up, right? You hear the birds that don't stop talking. Right? Chirp, 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 chirp. They just chirp and chirp. So the Torah is telling us the reason you bring these two birds is to remind you are like a bird. You didn't stop talking. And when you don't stop talking, you have no leash, you have no boundaries, you have no filter. So when you don't stop talking, you have no filter, you're bound to abuse your power of speech. Why eats Erez? Why do you bring cedar? ruach. A cedar tree is tall and strong and, and, uh, and high. So one of the second, the second reason why Taras results is the person who's arrogant. You think that you're tall and high and mighty and great. That's a mistake. This thread of a worm and hyssop how do you repair? How do you grow? Um, how do you return from being like a bird that chatters and from being like a cedar tree that thinks you're arrogant? You use the thread of a worm, a worm we think of as the most lowly creature. And hyssop is a bush that grows. It's the opposite of the Azov. The uh, er, the, uh, the I'm sorry. The Erez is tall and haughty, and the Azov, the hyssop, is low to the ground. It's a bush. It's like uh, it's it's unimpressive. So you, it's the humility which is the solution. That is the solution. So Rashi already is giving us the uh, symbolism of why the first stage of re-entering the camp is to realize don't be high and mighty. Don't think you're superior and arrogant like a Erez. Be more like Shmitolas and like a Azov. And stop like these birds chattering. We'll see in a moment why two birds. So why not one? If the symbolism is the bird just, just chatters and chirps. Stop chirping and chattering. So why not one? The Ibn Ezra says, Eight Erez ve'ezov, who The Erez, the cedar, is the tallest of all vegetation. The Erez is the, is the mightiest. And the Ezov, the hyssop, is the most inferior. And that's what the message is. That in the contrast between the two, be humble like an Ezov, not arrogant like Erez. Okay, so that's the first level of symbolism of what's going on. Look at the Kliyakar, Pasek Dalad. We're only going to look at the beginning of the Kliyakar. Kliyakar here has a long essay on Lashon Hara. That Saras results from three Averos that are present in our Pasha. And what are they? Lashon Hara, Gasas Aruach, Vechemdas Hamamum. The three causes of Saras, as the Kliyakar, according to Chazal, are... Gossip, arrogance, and money. Being money hungry. The birds atone for all three. Because the birds correspond with chirping, as we saw, is gossip. Birds fly in the air. They fly high. You're arrogant. You thought you're flying high. You think that money gives you wings to fly and do, so you were too much pursuing money to be able to fly like a bird. Says the Kliyakar, the other commentators all exclusively focus on gossip. So I want to contribute by focusing on the other two and by showing how these 
this process rehabilitates from all three. Uh, gossip, arrogance, and the pursuit of money. The first is the following. Um, you know, we'll stop there. He goes on and on and on and on and on. You can read it. But one of the things that he mentions, the Mephor mentioned, why two birds? Why two birds? Because speech is not categorically bad. The issue with speech is not that you're talking. You know, they say there were two gedolim in our past who perfected their speech as close as you could come to perfecting it. Because the Gemara says, Avak Lashonara is one of the three Averos that a person does every day. So, as close as you could come to perfecting it. And they were the Gera Rebbe and the Chavetz Chaim. The Chavetz Chaim, the saintly Chavetz Chaim, uh, really almost perfected his speech and as did the Gera Rebbe. But they perfected it differently. The Gera Rebbe perfected his power of speech by almost never speaking. He simply, the Imre Yemes, I think, he simply never spoke. He simply never spoke. Whereas the Chafetz Chaim used his power of speech. He communicated, taught, interacted, um, had interpersonal relationships, but he used it to teach Torah and to elevate rather than abusing it. So the two birds are here to say that we're not just shechting the one bird. Shech, stop speaking. Take a vow of silence. Don't talk. Silence is a virtue. So on Pirkei Avos last week was the first parak of Pirkei Avos. So the Matzasi Guftov Mishtika, when the Tanoim says, "Kol Yamai, all my life I sat around Tamidei Chachamim, and I discovered that the greatest quality is silence. Listen, learn to listen. There is a great quality of silence. Silence is a virtue. So maybe you think you know there's one bird, you shecht the one bird, you got into trouble by speaking. Stop talking. No, there's a second bird that lives. Why? To remind us that. The answer is not to be silent. The answer is not to retreat and to never talk. Use talk, use talking, use speech in a productive manner. And therefore there's one bird that lives of the two. So that is the first layer of the, of the symbolism. Klerker has a further layer of the symbolism. He says, on um, Why do you have Shnitolas between Erez and Ezov? If it's true that Erez and Ezov are supposed to be contrasted, Erez, the tall cedar tree, is haughtiness. Ezov, the small hyssop bush, is humility. So why do you place Tolas between the two if you're trying to contrast them? And in Parshas Chukas, it says, Eitz Erez ve'ezov u'shni Tolas. Parshas Chukas, you have it in the proper order. Erez, Ezov, and then Shni Tolas. Why here did we change it? He asks. You know, the high and mighty Erez can even be brought down by the Tolas. You're a lowly Tolas, you're a lowly worm, says the Kliyakar. Through gossip you could bring down. We appreciate this in our time more than any other. Somebody writes something about you on the internet, they could ruin your career, they could ruin your life. They are a lowly Tolas. They have no credibility. They have no authority. They are nothing. But they have a keyboard and internet access. And they read a blog. They make an anonymous accusation. They leave a comment on a blog. They could say whatever they want. Even though they're a tolas, they're a lowly worm with no credibility, no authority. Nevertheless, 
they could bring down the Erez, they could bring down somebody who in fact is tall and high and mighty. And that's why, says the Kliyakar, the next, Erez, Shni Tolas, Ve'ezov. Even the Tolas can bring down the Erez, the answer is to be in an Ezov. And that's why it's in that, it's in that order. Okay, so that's the, that is the beginning of the symbolism. And then we have the whole question of shaving. Then we have the whole question of shaving. What exactly is he shaving? So the Ibn Ezra says in Pasuk Tess, on the seventh day, Yigalach is kol se'aro, se'ar haraglayim, his leg hair, v'yeshomim avzro osav v'shokav v'achazeh. Some say even his arms, his thighs, and his chest. How much hair exactly is he shaving? On the seventh day, that's a question. Then you have on the eighth day he shaves, and there he shaves, the Torah differentiates, and his head, Rosho, Zikano, Gabo Seina. His head, his beard, and his eyebrows, and then all of his body hair. Well, if he has to shave all of his body hair, why do we then mention specifically the other three? So the Kliyakar says, Pasuk Tess, why did Nagayim come? For three things. Gossip, arrogance, and money. So as Rosh Hashanah, you shave your head to humble yourself. Because... Uh, your arrogance. You want to be the head of everything? We shave your head in order to humble you. Next, your beard. You shave the beard, that's the hair that surrounds the mouth, in order to humble you from the And the eyebrows, which humbles you from your eyes. Why do you pursue money? Because you gaze, you see with envy and jealousy and desire. It's what you pursue, what you see with your eyes. So again, what I'm trying to show you in our limited time is that all of these bizarre process of rehabilitation is not random. There's deep meaning and beauty. And the Kohen hopefully is communicating as he has the Mitzvah and says, next you're going to bring the birds, this is why. Next you're shaving your head, your eyebrows, your beard, this is why. The person leaves a transformed, changed person. It's not just they're going through some random hocus-pocus things, but it's a teacher. The Kohen is teaching. And vahuva ela Kohen. This person says, boy, I wish I came to you earlier. I didn't have to go through this. I would have loved to learn about the power of speech and about virtue and about righteousness and about merit without needing an intervention. But vahuva el Unlike the Nazir who initiates and goes on his own, this individual is dragged through an intervention, through this malady which can't be solved with cortisone cream to thee. And that's, so that's why the loss of body hair humbles the person. They, they stand out. Even when they come back into the camp, they stand out. They look different. They're humbled. So first they're isolated and alone. First they're apart. First they know what it feels, what they did to others. Even when they come in the camp, they look different. They're humbled because that was their problem. Ego, arrogance. And again, the head. They want it to be the head, the beard around the mouth, Lashon Hara, the eyebrows over the eyes because they gazed and then they pursued. On the eighth day, you bring these uh, sacrifices and you bring an Asham. Why do you bring an Asham? We'll end with this great insight of the Sforno. Why do you bring an, a, a Karban Asham? Whom did you violate the most? Whom did you violate the most with your behavior? Says the Sforno. What is an Asham? 
An ashram is a kind of type of chatas, it's a type of, of uh, sin offering. But a sin towards whom? Says this foreign apostle Gidbez, Hikri Vasol Asham, Kvar Hisbar Shinyan Asham, who are Ma'al Bakodesh. When do you bring an Asham? When you perform Me'ila. What's Me'ila? When you take something which is sacred, sanct- uh, has sanctity, and you make it profane. You sit on a chair of Hektish. You use money which has been given already to the Beis HaMikdash. That's Me'ila. So, okay. So an Asham is when you do Me'ila, when you take something of Hashem. Well, what did this individual take of Hashem? Why is he bringing an Asham? Why are you bringing, where do you get Saras? Gossip and arrogance. Gossip and arrogance are an affront to the Almighty. So you speak Lashonara in private. It's as if you're trying to hide from Hashem. And the individual who's arrogant is trying to steal God's clothing. God says, you're trying to be arrogant. You're trying to instill awe in others. You're competing with me. There's not enough room in the world for me and you to live together. So says the Sforno so brilliantly that what happens with Negaim? You're stealing your arrogance. What, why do you gossip about others? Because you feel superior to them. You think you're better than them. You think you're in a position to judge them or dismiss them or marginalize them. That's why it says, the Sifsei Kohen says, that's why the Parsha says, the Kohen sees Se'es o Sapachas. The word Se'es is, he says, comes from, uh, the word Se'es is like, is Gasus Ruach. Se'es is Hisnasus. Hisnasus is elevated, like you're, you think you're, you're standing upright. You're, you're higher, you're taller, you're arrogant. A nasi is the prince, a nasi is the president, a nasi is a position of distinction. So se'es, gasus ruach, you think you're better than others. Zapachas is miloshem pchisos, like it says in Sefer Shmuel, svacheni na. So where did it come from that you gossiped about others? You thought you're better, you thought you're superior, you thought you're greater. So when you think that you're better, when you think that you're worthy of awe of others, when you think you're in a position to judge that you know everything about everyone, then you're competing with the Almighty. So the sin of Lashon Hara certainly is an affront to other people, but ultimately it's also a great affront to the Almighty Himself. And that's why the Sforno says, the Mitzorah brings a Karban Asham, because he's done Mi'ila. He's tried to compete with Hashem. He's knocked Hashem out of the equation. Hashem says, you know, you think you're all that? This is your world to operate? There's not enough room in this world. That's part of why he goes, because he and I can't live in the same place. If you want the machana to be Kodesh, you want the Shekhinah to be there, he and I, it, we, we, there's not enough room for both of us. One of us has to go. And it's only when he realizes to be more humble, that's when there's room and the ability for him to come back. There's a lot, many, many more layers to the symbolism, a lot more to learn from from these uh, beautiful parshios. Hopefully we have a new appreciation when you hear Tazriya Mitzorah the Shabbos, 
uh, hopefully there's a, I won't hear it I'll be in Eretz Yisrael where they're already ahead but uh, hopefully there's a new appreciation rather than some hocus pocus random weird bizarre process there's deep beauty meaning and symbolism that is relevance and inspiration for us all have a great week